welcome to Weekend Watchlist, a look at what's screening and streaming, brought to you by The Letterboxd Show. I'm Mia. He's Slim. Yellow. And together we'll dig through what's dropping this weekend, last weekend, recent trends on Letterboxd, and we'll also take a peek at our own watchlists, all under 30 minutes or your money back. Mia, before we even get into the full show, we have to mention that this episode is brought to you by our friends at Searchlight Pictures. They're presenting the new film Empire of Light, written and directed by Academy Award winner Sam Mendes and starring Olivia Coleman, Michael Ward, Toby Jones, and Colin Firth? Oh, it has always been my dream to be sponsored by Colin Firth. Empire <laughs> of Light has been named one of Vanity Fair's 10 best films of the year. Mendez's drama features cinematography from Oscar winner Roger Deakins and an original score by Oscar winners Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. It is in select theaters December 9th. Not only will we be talking about that Empire of Light later in the show, but we'll chat about Brendan Fraser's big comeback movie, The Whale, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio on Netflix, your community reviews tagged Weekend Watchlist with that same community thought of last week's movies, and we'll shuffle our own watchlist together forever later in the show. Speaking of watch lists, The Whale is on a whopping 193,000 of them. My God. Yeah. So for reference, this is a higher number than another very lonely creature, the Batman. So the Batman had 81,000. Retire Batman. Like the whale trounced the Batman. The whale outsold the Batman on every level. It's so it's so interesting and unexpected. So, <laughs> How do you feel about your boy Pattinson getting trounced here oh by Frazier? I guess if it's anyone, it might as well be Brendan exactly. Frazier. Exactly. If there were anyone else, it might have to come to fisticuffs, but it's Brendan Frazier. I concede to him. So the whale is directed by Darren Aronofsky, who we may remember from Black Swan, Requiem for a Dream, Mother! Exclamation point. So the whale centers on a reclusive English teacher who's suffering from severe obesity, and he attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter for one last chance at redemption. <sighs> one last chance for one Brendan. Last chance. One last chance. This is the big comeback movie. People are over the moon, rightfully, about Brendan coming back into the limelight. Well-deserved. So I actually was at a Fancy Pants screening a couple weeks ago. Felt like Mia Vicino getting into these screenings. I was wearing my like sunglasses. I had my hood up trying to get in there. Um, it was actually the same place that I saw Men, this, the early screening for, <laughs> for Men, Mia's eyes. Um, and funnily enough, someone was snoring in the first 10 minutes of both of those screenings. So I wonder which local Philadelphia film critic has a... A tendency to fall asleep during screenings. Uh, I thought Brendan was amazing. I thought Sadie was amazing. The ending was amazing, in my opinion. The stuff in between, I didn't love too much. I am pretty glad that Brendan is is back and he's witnessing the praise that I think so many film fans have had for Brendan for so long, but he's been out of that spotlight for quite a bit of time. So that's the main thing for me is that Brendan is is getting the praise, the well-deserved stuff. So I'm happy that that's happening. I didn't love the movie, but that's okay. I think a lot of people do love it. I am in a similar boat, Slim. I am also rooting for Brendan. I'm happy for him. I'm also a sucker for movies adapted from plays. I love oh. when characters are in one location yeah. and all they're doing is talking for the most part. 
I, I love that shit. I go crazy for that uh, <laughs> as a former theater kid. Um, films like that really, really rely on a strong, strong script, which mm. I'm not quite sure if this one is up to par considering the intense material. But um, Brendan and Hong Chow in particular, I, I really love their performances. Right. Um, we also, I believe we have a clip. Oh, my God. Correct? You're right. Hmm. Our own Brian Formo, senior producer, senior produce, sat down with Brendan and Sam Hunter, the writer, and he asked Brendan uh, about what the most challenging aspect of this role was. So here's Brendan's answer. The biggest challenge was connecting with Sadie and Hong and Ty in a way that was meaningful and authentic and didn't fall into sentimentality or mawkishness that let the man be a man be so much more than who he is as he appears and to play him in a way that would allow you to see him for who he is as he presents and make up your own mind about if or not he like so many others in our world are easily dismissed and you need to see him for the person that he is. He's an, he's an educator. He, he's, he, he was a husband, a father. He's flawed. He loves intensely. He's eternally optimistic. He has a sense of hope and has a almost like a secret superpower. He can see the good in others. And bring that out in them. He's an educator. When they can't see that in themselves, and the tragedy is he can't do that for himself. But if he can connect with his daughter in the little amount of time he has left, maybe just maybe he can turn that around. But you have to see the film to to see where Charlie goes. <laughs> quite a quite a pitch from Brendan. He's also burying the lead. He's burying the lead that the whale is gay. Mm. This this is a queer film. Yeah. And I think people should know that because I was surprised and I, I was pleasantly surprised. Mr. Spork left a review. It's the effing <laughs> renaissance, baby. Let's effing go. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Spork. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fun and games um, until you have to say a letterbox username out loud and then all bets are off. <laughs> we are in such a somber mode like the, and then Mr. Spork comes in. No, we love you Mr. Spork. Thank you. Should we move into Pinocchio? Is it time for Del Toro's Pinocchio? I, I I would love to move into Pinocchio. I would love to. It's time for Pinocchio. Guillermo Del Toro and Mark Gustafson on 67,000 watch lists. This is going to be on Netflix and the, the luxury of your own home. However luxurious that might be. During the rise of fascism in Mussolini's Italy, a wooden boy brought magically to life struggles to live up to his father's expectations. I have not seen this. I'm very jealous of all the the pros in the press line that have seen this. Mia, I'm just going to have to guess to 
to think that you did see this in advance. I did. It's true. It's true. I did. But I had to really finagle my way in there. I had to, I waited in a line for hours in the Mm -hmm. rush line to get into Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. And it was well worth it because they put me in the front row, five seats down from GDT himself. Oh my God. So, (laughs) yes, not not to brag, but I was at that premiere. (laughs) Um, I really enjoyed this Pinocchio. It blows the 10 million other Pinocchio movies that came out recently for some reason out of the water. Um, GDT is such a master at world building. He totally refreshed this story that we've seen and heard so many times. And he's, uh, he's translated into his own signature style. Um, he lets people sing original songs. It's a musical. So we got Christoph Waltz singing, you and McGregor singing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then, um, Lydia Tarr is a monkey. She plays a monkey in the No. Yeah. Is this real? Yes. Lydia Tarr. Kate Blanchett. Is the monkey? Um, but Lydia yes, Lydia Tarr, Tarr the is character real. from the movie Tar plays the monkey in Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. You and McGregor famously sang in Moulin Rouge, right? Oh, that was yes, he did. Which I did not. We don't have to get into my thoughts on Moulin no, Rouge, no. but Moulin Rouge fans, yeah, we this should is stay a tr- civil. Yes, is, we have to remain civil at all times. Yeah. This is this must be a treat for Moulin Rougies. Is that what the fans are called, Rougies? Yes, we're called Moulin Rougies. Yes, that is the term. Um, No, it's a huge treat for us because he has such a beautiful voice, but, you know, Hollywood doesn't often let him use it. He was able Mm. to use it in Beauty and the Beast was the last time. Um, But this, he, he, I don't know if you saw the Beauty and the Beast No, he was in the live action Beauty and the Beast? He plays the sexy candle. I mean, the candle. He plays the (laughs) candle. (laughs) I did not uh, remember that. I have seen it, but that was a long time oh, you ago. you have? Yeah. Yes. In the live action, when he plays the candle, he, they make him dab as the candle. So oh, this is a big step up from that. The only thing I remember from the Beauty and the Beast is like the the memes that were of Beast walking down the steps in his like, <laughs> you know, his CGI uniform with his legs, yeah. his like freak legs. <laughs> can't even think about it oh my god i haven't thought about that movie sorry to derail everyone jay left review all rise for the anti-fascist pinocchio so yes they're coming in hot that is another exciting factor is that they straight up put pinocchio in world war ii fascist italy yeah so it's it's like modernized the fable not Mm. completely it's not now times but it's still more modern than whenever the italians made it I don't know when that was. I'm not a history expert. Did you give this four stars? I gave it four stars and a heart. I did. (laughs) Tessa left a review, cried my eyes out, had a great time. So the buzz is very nuclear for Pinocchio. Nuclear. Nuclear buzz for this wooden boy. Speaking of nuclear and light, I don't know. (laughs) Empire of Light. Amazing. That sounds like it could be a bomb of some sort. Yes, a love bomb. Yes, excellent. (laughs) It's a love bomb to the power of cinema. There we go. That's an excellent transition. (laughs) Empire of Light. It's directed by Sam Mendes of American mm. Beauty, Revolutionary Road, a million Broadway plays. This is on 24,000 watch list and it is coming out in theaters. This is a love story set in and around an old cinema mm. on the south coast of England in the 1980s. I guess the modern Mendes that I'm aware of is like the Bond movies in 1917 and Road to Perdition. So I haven't seen some of his other stuff. And I think you mentioned like the the... Broadway or the play stuff, that's like completely unknown to me. So him and Deacons combining for this, it's like a different 
different vibe that I'm not familiar with. So I'm I'm interested to see the response to this movie. Yes, Sam Mendes is an excellent dramaturge, I believe the word is. Dramaturge, my <laughs> yes, God. Yes, exciting to use it. And I hope <laughs> I'm using it correctly. Um, <laughs> but the cast and crew that he's assembled for this thing is so wild. Because yeah, you've got Roger Deakins, who's amazing. You have a Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score. Yeah. Uh, the guys of The Social Network and Gone Girl, they're amazing. I listen to their scores all the time. And then for me personally, they've got Olivia Coleman and Colin Firth. Oh. Two of Britain's finest ex exports, imports. They're not products. <laughs> I shouldn't refer to them as human, that. The finest they're human humans. products that have ever they're come out of that finest, area. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, I love them deeply. They're always compelling to watch. And Colin Firth, particularly, I'm very interested in where his career is going right now because he's kind of in like his horny cheater era. Mm. Um, I don't know if anybody here watched The Staircase on HBO, but he's playing a horny cheater in that. He's playing a horny cheater in this. <laughs> it's like he switched personalities with Hugh Grant's character and Bridget Jones's diary, Daniel Cleaver, which Slim, one day you will understand what that one means day. when I make you watch Bridget Jones. <laughs> but it is very interesting to see him like this because we know him as this, you know, like very hmm, posh and polite. Yeah, yeah. Um, British man, and um, he's kind of been a bad boy. I like bad boy Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag horny cheater on Twitter if you're horny watching uh, Colin. <laughs> Colin movies. I was trying to think of Olivia Coleman. Obviously, Olivia Coleman, Coleman is one of the best actors in the game. And I was thinking back the first time I saw her, I think it was Broadchurch. Remember that TV show, Broadchurch, with David yes. Tennant, Jody, is it Whitaker? Jody Whitaker. Oh my God, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Is in that? It's it's English excellence. I'm, yes. I, I completely had blocked out that she was in it. But yeah, that TV show revolutionized my brain as to like what television could be. And her performance was a huge part of that. We have some reviews of mm -hmm. Empire of Light. This one from Zoe Rose Bryant. It's a simple story and maybe bites off a bit more than it can chew, but it's just so sincere and so soulfully shot and scored. A good old-fashioned prestige pick aimed squarely at adults and I ate it up. Mm. Yes, we need more like mid-budget adult dramas. Yeah. They're weirdly scarce. Empire of Light leading the charge. Thank you. I feel like I need to at reply our Twitter and say, let me log Broadchurch on Letterboxd. If they haven't blocked me already. <laughs> Please don't block me, Twitter team. Uh, let's look back at last week. Community reviews we want to spotlight, see what everyone is tagging in their reviews for the movies that dropped last week. So Violent Night, sitting at a, a posh 3.4 average on Letterboxd. Burton McCready left a review. David Harbour is, of course, amazing, adding heart and melancholy to the hammer-swinging action hero Considering this open to number one of the box office and on his back and the fact that when he takes off his shirt in the middle of this to reveal his muscled, burly physique, the woman next to me said out loud, damn, he is sexy. I'm wondering if he's our last true movie star. Is it true you think he's our last true movie star? Um, I think that's reserved for Colin Farrell. But I thought you were going to say Colin Firth. I know. <laughs> There are so many Colin F's out there that I am deeply connected to, but I respect that. Again, um, the sexification of Santa is real. Yeah. I said this in the last episode, and this mm -hmm. further proves my thesis. So thank yeah. you, Burton McReady. Thank you. I got a lot of anonymous DMs about the sexification of Santa last week after that episode dropped. People were praising the need to discuss Santa in that way. Because we're not talking about it. 
we, we're not, not talking <laughs> about it at all. We are not period, having yeah. the correct discussions. We need to amp it up. I, I also just want to say that we have that uh, the Eternal Daughter by yeah. Joanna Hogg is also at a 3.4 average, which mm. I think is very interesting that that and Violent Night are both tied because mm-hmm. um, they're both kind of aimed at opposite audiences. Um, I'm I'm more of an Eternal Daughter. Are you a Violent Night? I think I'm more of a Violent Night. My, my son yeah, saw brother. the trailer for that on his YouTube and asked to see it. Uh, so we will be watching that once it hits VOD for sure. There are two Americas for sure. Um, <laughs> Eternal Daughter America, Violent Night America. <laughs> Emancipation is going wide on Apple TV Plus this week. That's sitting at a 2.9 average from the last week. So going downward a little bit. One thing I do want to point out for the next, for I think two weeks from now, is we're going to be doing a holiday watch list segment. Right? Uh, spoilers, right before we take a month off. Uh, but we'll be talking about holiday watch lists, our own holiday watch list. So if you are watching your holiday picks or making your own lists about suggestions for holiday movies, tag it weekend watch list. So maybe we can spotlight it in two weeks once we go through our own. And I'm already going to say that Christmas vacation is on my list. So get ready, Mia. Okay. I'll, I will get ready. I already dropped in this episode, which film I will be talking about. So if you were paying attention, you already know, but I'm not going to say it again. So you'll have to <laughs> rewind. You have to rewind. You need to rewind. Pay more attention next time if you missed it. Uh, <laughs> One other thing I'm doing, uh, I'm actually, spoilers before we get to the segment later of the show, I've been calling my watch list. I, I got it down to, I think, 150 <laughs> movies because I realized that I needed to start going through some of these oldies that I don't even remember adding. So one of them that I actually started watching is a movie that's been on there for a while, but wasn't streaming forever. It was Judgment at Nuremberg, 1961, directed by Stanley Kramer. Um, it's like a fictional version of the trials against four prosecutors with Spencer Tracy, Burt Lancaster, just an inc- Judy Garland's in it, William Shatner. Um, it's streaming on Pluto and Hoopla. So I rented it from my local library and I watched it. It's actually three hours long. I watched the first hour. It's incredible so far. So I'm excited to finish it. Now it is time to check in on the Letterbox Top 50 of 2022 list. Let's see what is at the top of the list for 2022 releases. So Jordan's submission to the best international feature category at the Oscars this year, Farha, enters at number 18. Mm. It follows a 14-year-old girl in 1948 Palestine who watches from a locked pantry as catastrophe consumes her home. Jack notes that there is a big political push for this one, and lots of our reviews are simply free Palestine. It premiered at TIFF last year and was released on Netflix on December 1st. I mean, we're in the throes of the year. We're almost at the end of Jack's Letterbox Top 50 of 2022, which is updated weekly, and who knows, maybe it's set in stone. The, maybe the He predicted it pretty much like the first month that he didn't think the Beatles get back would leave the number one spot. So we'll see. We're almost at the end. We're running out of time, so get your votes in. Let's go to our watch list. We shuffled every week. We get a different movie from our own watch list uh, that we have to watch before we record next. And two weeks ago, when I was last on this show, I got U.S. Seals 2. And there was a, there was like a thud. You could hear a pin drop in that episode when I got that shuffle. Actually, it's, it's not bad. Uh, it felt like a lower budget Expendables. And I like the first Expendables, to be honest. It's fun. Um, but this felt like it had like a lower budget uh, and, and accordingly a cast. I was recognizing faces from the original Mortal Kombat movie. Um, so oldies like me might remember that. And also Street Fighter with Jean-Claude Van Damme. 
There was actually some big time style in the movie. When I looked at the director's filmography, I realized that he had also done Ninja 2 and like a bunch of Scott Adkins movies. So like those direct-to-video martial arts um, thriller type film. So if this were if this movie had been made a few years later, I feel like Scott Adkins would have been the star. Um, but it was pretty good. Not bad. I saw you gave it three and a half. Yeah. That's a stellar rating for I, US. I think Seals people too. were stunned. People were stunned by that rating in the feed. Yeah. <laughs> it gave them pause in yeah. the activity feed. Because the poster looks fake. It does not <laughs> look does. like a real movie. It looks like an ad for someone to join the SEALs or yeah. join the military, fight for your country. I did not want to join the military after the movie, but I thought I had a good time. That's good. That's all we can ask for. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I watched something <laughs> that ended up on the Sight and Sound poll, funnily oh. enough. Yes, yes, you may have heard about this Sight and Sound poll that is reverberating around the film sphere of the internet. Um, so for those who don't know, Sight and Sound is a British monthly film magazine by BFI. Every 10 years, they poll an international group of film professionals, and then they compile this list of the 100 greatest films of all time. And Killer of Sheep just debuted on the list at number 44. Hmm. Kind of exciting. This list wow. was not out when I shuffled last week, to be clear. So this is just kind of a fun little coincidence. Yeah, yeah. But um, so now I can say I've seen 49 out of the 100 films on the list. So I Sheesh. still have quite a bit of work to go, but... Almost halfway there. So this film I actually put on the watch list because it, it was in James Gray's fave, mm. four faves mm -hmm. on his episode. That was one of his faves. Made me add it to the watch list. Um, I'm so glad I did. So this one came out in 1977, which I believe to be the best year for cinema. And this one further proves it. So I thought it was going to be like a slaughterhouse movie going in because it's called Killer of Sheep. And it has slaughterhouse in the description. So I was ready for... A lot of violence and there is there is some, but not as much. Um, it's more, it's it's very like Italian neorealist slash French new wavy. And, you know, it's like kind of unfair to compare this film to these very white subgenres because it should just stand on its own without comparison. But mm -hmm. you know what? We are building a new canon. Okay. <laughs> Thank you to the to the S and S poll. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm just going to come out and say I loved the SNS poll results. If I'm allowed to say You're, that, this, the discourse has moved to this podcast. It's left Twitter. Now we are running the discourse on this sight and sound. To be perfectly honest, I had no idea what the sight and sound poll was before people were like showing the voting results, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" That's because there are two Americas. There's Violent Nights <laughs> and Eternal vi Daughters. <laughs> <laughs> the Violent Nights, like me, weren't aware. But yeah, it's interesting. Every ten years, they they bumped up the inclusionary uh, grouping of critics like they doubled it over the last decade which is cool so i had watched jean dealman uh for the podcast and that was my first experience for the letterbox show four faves and it blew my mind like i had never seen a movie like that before and i think we will link to the journal article where we discuss about how like the watch list editions what were they up by like 3500 percent after the poll came out. So we'll have a link to the list, the full list. It's a great list. I mean, the goal, one of the many goals of Letterboxd is to just have people watch more movies. And this list pushes that. So we'll have a link in the episode notes to add these movies to your watch list. Discover something new, like I did with Jean Dielman. Jean. Uh, it's like six hours long. It's not six hours long. It's like three hours long. <laughs> I, I also have to say another thing about Killer of Sheep. So when yeah. the credits rolled... Someone 
in the cast was named Slim. No. Just Slim. No last name. I was a key grip on that set, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was I was <laughs> I was getting people coffee on that set. Yeah. But my jaw <laughs> dropped. I was like, just slam, no last name. It's like a sign. that is it's a sign. My co-host. We have yeah. the sight and sound poll that you picked the movie so. from without even being out. And now this. It's a sign. It's a sign. But our community is also shuffling their watch list as well. Robert left a review for Roma, which blew my mind when I saw it last year. The world is burning, men ain't shit, and I've completely emptied my tear ducts. Oh my God, I cried so much in the theater for Roma. Yes, it was ridiculous. Yes. Oh my God. Just sobbing in like the second half of that movie. Absolutely. Unreal. Becky reviewed Mad God, <laughs> which was one of the best of the year. You know that feeling when you watch your first David Lynch movie, but your brain hasn't fully formed yet, and you're just like, what? That's me watching this film. I don't know what happened. I know it meant something. It made me uncomfortable and I really enjoyed it. Need a rewatch for sure. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. an effed up movie. Mm-hmm. Jessica left a review for the game. Michael Douglas, my sweet prince. Sean Penn could have just had three ghosts visit Michael Douglas on Christmas Eve, but instead went with the expensive, elaborate, incredibly effed up, and very entertaining ploy. I love the game. I gave it five stars when I just watched it again a couple weeks ago. Loved it. You know, I, I listened to that episode. You do love the game. I Anything yeah. with Michael Douglas from that era just tickles me for some reason. It's such a strange era in filmmaking where you get this like rich, snotty, horny uh, Michael Douglas, and people were eating it up. In that in that time frame, it's crazy. And you know, Catherine Zeta Jones is still eating it up, or vice versa. Oh my god, I can't say that on air. <laughs> that's, that's staying in. That is staying in. <laughs> the Mia puns must be left in and protected at all yeah. costs. Thank you. Someone is saying it. <laughs> oh my god, do we have to shuffle our own? Is it? We time? have to shuffle our oh, own. Scary. We have to. We okay, have to go let's back. Do it. Let's see what's going on in here. I'm going to my watch list. I'm going to filter by stream only. Make it easy for me. You can stream, filter mm-hmm. by whatever you want. And I'm going to sort by shuffle. The first movie on my list I have to watch. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Christopher Lambert streaming on Tubi and Crackle. Fortress. 1992, directed by Stuart Gordon. Welcome to the future where punishment is the ultimate crime. So this is actually the same director from your reanimator that you shuffled and got. So now we can have a better idea of what I'm getting into. I'm excited. The average is 2.9 on Letterboxd. But, you know, that's right up my alley. Yeah, ooh, that's going to be yucky. Reanimator was, <laughs> and that's a good thing. That's not, oh my God, yucky is a compliment. I love yucky. <laughs> oh man, Reanimator was yucky, yeah. non-derogatory. What, what about you? What do you? What did you shuffle and get? <laughs> the sound I just made. You guys are going to think I'm lying when I say what this is. This is another film from 1977, the best year are for Are the cinema. only movies on your watch list 1977 movies? I they think have so, to be. That's the only year where movies came out, it seems. <laughs> this is Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. What? Have you heard of this? I Jug had not heard of this. Somebody, multiple people have begged me to watch this movie about Otters at Christmas. It's made by Jim Henson. Oh. <gasps> It's it's a Muppet movie, but it's oh. Emmett's em, Emmett Otter, and he has a band. These guys are um, adorable. They're so cute, and I had never heard of them. A poor Otter family risks everything for the chance to win a cash prize of a talent contest for Christmas. I'm adding this to my watch list. 
It's on yes. Prime and Peacock right now. These adorable little otters. My God, 1977. What They're the so hell? cute. Only 53 minutes. Oh my God. This is going to be the easiest watch this <laughs> ever. What a win. What a win. A double win for you. Wow. Wow. Evan, they're so cute. I'm going to have so much to say. You better slot out like 20 minutes for Evan Otter Talk next week. Thanks so much for listening to Weekend Watchlist brought to you by The Letterbox Show. You can follow Mia Slim, that's me, and our HQ page on Letterbox using the links in our episode notes. And if you had the time, consider rating the podcast on Spotify or leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It does help spread the word about the show. Thanks to our crew and thanks to Letterbox member Trent Walton for the theme music, Eyes On. Thanks to Jack for the facts and Sophie Shin for the episode transcript. And to you for listening. Weekend Watchlist is a Tape Deck production. This, this, this is a Tape Deck podcast. Mm-hmm.